We'll start at Matthew 14:34, and then uh, go on to 15:1 to 20. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognised Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honour his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to himself and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart and these make a man unclean for out of the heart comes evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false testimony slander these are what make a man unclean but eating what with unwashed hands does not make him unclean well as we come to reflect on this part of god's word will you pray with me let's pray Father God, we do thank you for your word and we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would correct us, challenge us, encourage us according to our need and according to your will. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you've heard the accusation, they're just a bunch of religious hypocrites. Or maybe, I hate religious hypocrites. It's a common enough, a common enough um, accusation or maybe excuse that's given for rejecting the Christian faith. Now, the notion that Christians are hypocrites. Um, incidentally, if you do hear someone say the church is full of hypocrites, you know what the answer is? No, it's not. I'm sure there's room for more. You'll fit in. The question I want to put to you this morning is, are you a religious hypocrite? Now, we are all religious to at least some degree. I mean, the very fact that uh, we're here this morning in church, you know, you're not playing golf or at the beach or watching a movie or something, that would, you know, many people's books, that would indicate that you are 
and I, are, I am somewhat religious. But are we hypocritical? Uh, a hypocrite is someone who, who says one thing but does another. Now, none of us are, are perfect, none of us are perfectly consistent, so, well, does that therefore make us hypocrites? Are you a religious hypocrite? That's a little bit confronting, isn't it? I think maybe how confronting you find that probably depends on how you feel about yourself. Uh, you may be very aware of your own failures and inconsistencies already, and so hence you, your apparent hypocrisy. Or you may feel, oh, you're pretty consistent, you're not a hypocrite. Well, regardless of how we may feel about ourselves, let's look at what Jesus says about religious hypocrisy because he certainly took a strong uh, stance of opposition to it. In this chapter before us, in Matthew 15, we, we read firstly of what we might call some impressive churchy types. Uh, Matthew 15.1 says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Uh, these Pharisees, teachers of the law, they, they were pillars of, of religious society. And they'd come from Jerusalem, from the capital, the religious capital. They'd come to Genesaret, this Gentile, non-Jewish region where Jesus is. Now these uh, Pharisees were in opposition to Jesus. Uh, we've seen that throughout Matthew's Gospel as we've um, encountered the, the Pharisees on various occasions. They are introduced to us and they're, they're opposed to Jesus. Back in uh, chapter 3, John the Baptist sees through their religious exterior and he calls them to, to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, in keeping with a genuine heart change. And then in chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus highlights the, the emptiness, the inadequacy of the Pharisees' sort of outward displays of, of, uh, of righteousness. Throughout the Gospels, as we encounter the Pharisees, they're in opposition to Jesus. And, they, and that builds. They question him, they accuse him, and they begin to plot to kill him. And here in chapter 15, they confront Jesus about the issue of uncleanness. Look there, verse 2. So they, they come from Jerusalem and they ask... Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, when we read that, we might immediately kind of think of hygiene. You know, it's good to wash your hands before you eat. It's got nothing to do with hygiene. This has got to do with a religious ceremony, a ritual. It's a symbolic washing. I mean, they, they could have said something like, why do your disciples break the tradition of our elders? They don't raise their hands when they say grace. Or, you know, it could be something like that. It's, it's a ceremonial religious tradition of the elders. And Jesus' disciples are, are breaking that. They're not keeping it. Now, I think it's helpful to understand where this, um, this tradition of the elders may have come from. Uh, we know from the Bible, from the Old Testament, that uh, that within God's law, there were three categories or, or states that someone could be in. Uh, they could be holy, clean, or unclean. And different things that you, that you did would move you from one state to another. Uh, the law specified things that would defile a person and make them unclean. And certain things would need to be done to, in order to make the person clean again, so that, for example, they could be sanctified and, and enter into God's holy temple. And so there's this system of holy, of clean, of unclean, the, the whole thing taught in a powerful way that God is holy, that we are unholy, and that there's a problem between us and God, namely our unholiness, our spiritual 
uncleanness. Uh, to give you an example of, of the, the working of this, um, in as Exodus chapter 30, verse 17, to come up on the screen, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin and with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. So you see there, the the priests were to, to wash themselves, to have this symbolic purifying of themselves before they approached God. Uh, That's what the Old Testament law required of the priests. But then what the Pharisees did was, well, they took this law about cleansing and washing and they they expanded it to include all sorts of things. Um, In the the parallel account in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 7, it says when the Pharisees come from uh, an unclean place like a market, they would make sure they have a ceremonial washing before they ate. And they had other traditions of cleansing cups and kettles and who knows what else. They upheld these washing rituals, these traditions of the elders, not for hygiene reasons, but to to somehow maintain their ceremonial cleanness. I guess you could sort of say, you could regard them as some religious neat freaks. Well, with that background in mind, they come to Jesus with this challenge. Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Why aren't your disciples keeping our rules and traditions? Well, in Jesus' answer, he he turns the table on them. He says, verse 3, Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition?" Jesus says, look, never mind whether my disciples are breaking your traditions. The bigger issue is that despite your religious observances, you are breaking the command of God. But it's worse worse than that. It's actually by your religious observance you're breaking the command of God. And Jesus goes on to give an example. He says in verse 4, For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their mother or father is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they're not to honour their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. This is saying God's word says clearly, honour your father and your mother. It's the fifth commandment, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. But the Pharisees, well, they had this neat little loophole that said you could declare that that some money or an asset or a property, it's devoted to God. And, well, if it's devoted to God, it can't be used for some earthly and mundane thing such as looking after your parents. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be given to God. It's just devoted to him. You could still use it for investing or making money or something. It just just shouldn't be used for helping your parents. Jesus says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Their religious observance is actually running against obedience to the word of God. They are, in short, hypocrites, presenting themselves as good religious people, but in reality, actively disobeying God's word. Jesus calls them on it. 
verse 7. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. It's quoting Isaiah 29, 13. Jesus says hypocrisy is claiming to listen to God's word, but in reality, giving more weight to other traditions, practices and ways of doing things. Things which in the end run against and do away with God's word. Now I reckon it's right that we allow Jesus' word to question us. Are we hypocrites? I guess the question is who or what do we in reality listen to? I mean, we have human traditions and teachings. Uh, in our secular society, they, they may not have a particular religious, particularly religious uh, appearance, but they do speak loud and strong, and they do call for our allegiance, for our obedience, and often they stand against the commands of God. Where do we feel this clash? Well, I think in the teachings of our day and, and, and of our culture... They say that to, to be a good, upstanding member of society, you must be inclusive. You must embrace diversity. Now, on the surface, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds almost as good as saying that your possessions are devoted to God. Um, now, of course, inclusion of others, valuing all people despite their differences, that, that, that stems from Christian values. But our culture often means something quite different when it speaks of inclusion, when it speaks of embracing diversity. Uh, in a day and age of expressive individualism, where you and I as individuals, well, we, we supposedly define for ourselves, without any reference to any external authority, at least of all without any reference to an independent, sovereign creator, God, who made us and who therefore we stand in relationship to him, as God over us, I mean, that idea, well, that must be comprehensively rejected. There's no inclusion of that. There's no embracing of, of that way of thinking. That, that's excluded from the diversity that, that must be embraced. So according to the kind of prevailing culture of our day, the, the notion of right, of wrong, it's no longer tied to what God says. It's tied to what I feel. In myself, according to my own self-determined identity and values. So to be inclusive, to embrace diversity, whilst it, it might on the surface kind of sound good, in our cultural context, it actually amounts to excluding God and his word. Uh, embracing a, a diversity of people and views, just as long as they unite around the notion that we define right and wrong ourselves and God and what he says has no place in determining what we think or how we live. We must exclude God. We must silence what he says. Now, what a lot of this comes down to, and one example of it, I mean, the, the, the push to affirm all views of human sexuality, uh, the push to affirm gender fluidity and transgenderism, they are actually logical outcomes of nullifying the word of God by embracing our culture's commitment to self-determined expressive individualism. What does this mean in practice? Well, if we're going to uphold the word of God rather than nullify it, we need to be discerning 
when our world pressures us to conform to its traditions, when it, to its, its agendas in the name of inclusion and diversity? What do we do it at work or at school on Diversity Day or whatever it's called? What does our participation look like? Well, it might depend on what's being pushed and what actually that means, but that's my point. You need to think about what this is actually saying. Now, don't get me wrong, we, we need to be people who love all people, who welcome all people, whoever they are, what, whatever they believe, whatever they have or haven't done. Jesus exemplified that better than anyone. But loving and welcoming people, that's different to agreeing with and wholeheartedly affirming everything they believe and do as if they're somehow the ultimate determiner of all reality. We actually want to reserve that place for, well, for God. If we hold to the truth that God is God, that he has spoken through his word, and ultimately he has spoken through his incarnate word, the Lord Jesus, friends, that will put us at odds with our culture. We will run against its grain. We will break its tightly held traditions and will be unpopular, even hated for doing so. But so was the Lord Jesus. I mean, the moral police of his day rejected him and ultimately had him put to death. I think this is one example of of the clash between God's word and our human culture and traditions. I think another um, obvious one and one that I think we can be so easily blinded from, from seeing, is, is greed. I mean, God's word describes greed as idolatry in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus taught you can't serve both God and money in Matthew 6, 24. Paul tells Timothy to command those who are rich not to put their hope in wealth, 1 Timothy 6, 17. And yet... In our culture, I mean, greed is kind of, it's just the air we breathe. In our affluent and materially prosperous society, wealth is the, the great hope for a successful life. So as we examine ourselves, I guess, for hypocrisy, it's worth asking, do, do our financial goals, do our aspirations reflect a heart that is eager to obey the word of God or one that upholds the traditions of our culture? There's a couple of examples of, well, when it boils down to it, who do we listen to? We who, who sit in church here on a Sunday and claiming to listen to God and his word, do we nullify the word of God by living according to the patterns and values and teachings of this world? Are we hypocrites in that way? But then what about religious hypocrisy? I mean, are, are there voices in religion that, that lead us away from obeying God's word? Uh, I think this is big in some churches. Uh, I don't know how many people I've spoken to over the years who, who tell me they've been turned off the Catholic church because they see people who attend mass and go to confession and put money in the plate and then go out and live a completely immoral life during the rest of the week. The hypocrisy is blatant and obvious to them. But let's not just point fingers at the Catholics. What do our religious practices teach? Are we in danger of kind of regarding our practices as a way to, to build a, a Pharisee profile of someone who's a kind of top-notch Christian, someone who a 
attends church every week and serves on the roster and is part of the elite SAS team and attends a growth group and goes to Christian conferences. I mean, they're obviously, they're, they're in. They're, they're top-notch Christians. They fulfill our human traditions. And that's what matters, right? I wonder, do we measure others that way? Do we measure ourselves and content ourselves, pat ourselves on the back as kind of good, you know, we're a good churchy because we tick the boxes. If we do, we're missing the point and we're drifting into a religious hypocrisy. Just to qualify, don't get me wrong, all those things are good. Attending church, attending growth groups, serving on SAS, they're all good, but they're not what it's all about because they don't deal with, with the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is actually the problem of the heart. Our hearts are the problem. Um, I've got a, an old video clip which I'm going to show now. It's from a TV show. I think it gives a, um, an unusually honest insight into the human condition. Um, I have shown this video before a long time ago. It may be sort of strangely familiar. I apologise for the quality of it, but it's, um, it's worth watching. I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. It's not about the world or anything, it's just about your own experiences. Worst thing I've ever done. Oh. I can't tell you that. I've never murdered anyone. <laughs> uh, I was pretty to my parents in high school. Scream at my daughter and make her cry. Not listening to parents' advice at earlier years. It's probably the worst thing. Don't stretch your ears, it'll make it harder to gain employment. I laughed, I thought that was silly, but no, they were right. You know, it's funny, I remember stealing some rent money from friends of mine many years ago. I've been in stolen car and things like that, but I've done worse than that, but I can't tell you. I knocked over a pregnant woman and I felt very ashamed of myself. And when her husband stood up, I really wanted him to hit me. I belted a bloke up and ended up in jail because he was belting his girlfriend. So, shouldn't have belted him. <laughs> but I can't tolerate blokes who hit women. Oh, um, trusted men. <laughs> trusted men that did the wrong thing by me. Dad gave me uh, money to give up smoking. Like, he gave me a lot of money. Everyone tells a lie here and there, you know, to, uh, to get yourself ahead. He gave me, like, $20,000 to give up smoking. <laughs> and I kept on smoking. And still to this day, he doesn't know. Had to put a dog down uh, without any uh, proper facilities to be able to do it. Haunts me sometimes. I go past the same place and I remember. I had a mate that was in need once and I, I didn't step up to the plate for him and he, uh, he went on a bit of a downward spiral after that and I didn't actually sort of step in when I couldn't. I guess uh, doing crime to put me in prison. Yeah. A whole heap of crime. Yeah. And being incarcerated for so long and being away from family, friends. Yeah. What's the worst thing you've done? What's the worst thing you've done? It's pretty sobering, isn't it? All of us have done bad things. I mean, I've done things I'd be ashamed to tell you. I expect the same to be true of all of us. Question is, how would you finish 
this sentence. Deep down, people are basically good. Deep down, people are basically bad. I want to say, if, if you want to say good, as our secular humanist society in its denial of reality does, then, to be blunt, you're wrong. But don't just take it from me. Uh, this is what Jesus says. Uh, back to Matthew 15, the, the Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples of being defiled by failing to keep their traditions. Jesus answers them by pointing out the true source of defilement. Verse 10, he says... Jesus called, to the crowd, called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. I love verse 12, the, the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that when the, Phar- the, the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? It's kind of funny in our cultural context where offending someone is, that's the great cardinal sin, that, you know, you, you, you offended the, the Pharisees. But yes, Jesus offended the Pharisees because he questioned their whole system. He questioned their understanding for what defiles a person. The parable of, of what goes in, what comes out, it was a little bit too subtle for Peter. It needed explaining. So down in verse 17, Jesus said, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. What's deep down inside a person? Well, it's what, it's what comes out of their heart. Jesus says it's evil thoughts, sexual morality, murder, adultery, theft, etc. That's what's deep down inside people. Uh, or listen to other parts of the Bible, such as Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Notice all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It's not a pretty picture, all of us gratifying the cravings of our flesh our sinful nature or in James 1 13 it says when tempted no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death where does sin come from it comes from our own evil desire deep down people are thoroughly corrupted, defiled. So Jesus says the, the defilement problem, it, it's not having unwashed hands, it's, it's not whether or not you eat meat that's kosher, or it's not whether you have a half hour quiet time every day, it's, it's not whether we serve in this way or that way at church, the, the uncleanness problem is our hearts, the, the, the heart of the problem is the problem of our hearts. But friends, praise God, Jesus and him alone can deal with our uncleanness. He can make us truly clean before God. In God's amazing sovereign plan, this was his plan from long before Jesus, 600 years before Christ, God promised to his people through the prophet Ezekiel and he said this, words have come up on the screen, he said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. 
I'll cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What a wonderful promise. And Jesus fulfilled this promise. He came to wash and cleanse us, to be the sacrifice for our sin, to cleanse our hearts before God, to bring forgiveness and healing before God. I love that little, that little summary at the, of the scene at the end of chapter 14 with, with people bringing all the, the, their sick to Jesus and, and begging him just to let them touch the edge of his cloak and, and all who touched it were healed. It's this beautiful illustration of the, of the healing, cleansing power that Jesus brings. The physical healing is, a, is, a, is symbolic of the, the deeper spiritual cleansing that Jesus brings. And so as it says in Hebrews 10:22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled with to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. So we may on the one hand know and, and feel only too well our guilt for the things we've done. Or maybe on the other hand, we may be a little bit like the self-righteous Pharisees who were blind to the corruption of their hearts. Whatever the case, without Jesus, our hearts are unclean. We are guilty before God. But by Jesus' death, his death in our place, he can truly cleanse us from a guilty conscience such that we can draw near to God in full assurance. Jesus calls us, He calls us not to empty religious hypocrisy, not to blind rules and traditions of culture. He calls us to humility before him, humility that recognises the problem of our hearts and humility that comes to him for cleansing. So brothers and sisters, don't be a hypocrite. Don't claim to, to follow Jesus and yet in reality follow the culture of our world. Don't claim to follow Jesus and yet in reality lean upon your own religious performance. Turn to Jesus to be cleansed. Trust him. Follow him. Even if that puts you completely at odds with the traditions and expectations of the world around us. Let me leave you with two questions. Firstly, has your heart been cleansed by Jesus? Have you humbled yourself and asked him for forgiveness? If you haven't, let me urge you to do that. Nothing is more important. I mean, you may have all the religious signs. You may have the success and affirmation of this world. But if you've never come to Jesus for forgiveness, it's all empty hypocrisy. If you have been cleansed by Jesus, praise God. Draw near to him, as the scriptures say, with a sincere heart in full assurance that faith brings. And the second question is, what are you listening to? Are you listening to human traditions and culture or to God's word? And where does that, that clash happen for you? Are there areas where you need, to, you need to let go of what the world says in order to embrace what God says? How about we pray and ask God to help us to do that? Pray that he would cleanse our hearts and change our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we
Thank you, we praise you, that you have sent your Son, our Lord Jesus. Father, you know us, you know our hearts, and in Jesus you've made the way for our hearts to be washed, to be cleansed before you. Father, please forgive us for the evil that that comes from our hearts. Please wash us, renew us, and by Jesus and his Spirit put in us a new heart that desires to follow you and listen to your word. Father, please protect us from from an hypocrisy that claims to follow your word and, and yet falls in line with the traditions and values of this world. Give us wisdom to see the ways in which we're in danger of doing this. And please lead us and grow us to honour you, not only in word, but in our hearts and in our actions too. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.